Morning, BCC. As Pastor Marcus said, we're continuing this search theme, and I want to speak to you about authenticity today. Um, how we apply authenticity to our Christianity, what that looks like, how do we know if we are achieving it, what are the steps that we need to put in place to get there. I always like to start with some definitions because I'm aware that sometimes things can get lost in translation and we don't always get the full meaning of words or phrases. And so a definition according to the dictionary of authenticity or being authentic is this, representing one's true nature or beliefs, being true to yourself or to a person that's been identified. I think we talk a lot about authenticity in our everyday. Um, There's been a lot in the media in the last sort of year or two that I've noticed where we've seen a shift from what is portrayed in glossy magazines and images and adverts to this push towards being more real and honest and authentic. So we now see models who are normal sizes, like the rest of us. We're not getting photoshopped images too often now because people were tired of that. We want, that doesn't represent me. I don't look like that. And it was creating all sorts of tensions and stress points for people. So there's a real push on this authenticity of how we look. Um, anybody familiar with the program um, Antiques Roadshow? Yes? So the concept is that you have these experts in their field, people of the public come along with possessions that they have, that may be artwork, it may be silverware, pottery, jewellery, all sorts of things, and these experts will look at these items and assess whether they are maybe original, um, expensive items of value, Um, And sometimes you get those surprise moments where somebody's had something hidden away for a long time and then they suddenly find out it's worth thousands of pounds and they had no idea whatsoever. But then you also get those moments where they've bought what they thought was a priceless painting only to find out that it's a fake and it's a replica and they're out of pocket big time. Let me show you a couple of paintings. The one on the left is by a very famous Dutch painter called Van Gogh. And it was painted in the 1800s. And the majority of his paintings were done um, in the last two years of his life, believe it or not. And he became famous after his death, really. Now, I don't know whether you like his style, but that particular painting sold in the 1980s for $40 million. It's worth a lot of money. People um, understand that Van Gogh is, um, was breaking ground for Western art and he's still ranked up there as one of the best. Now, it's a, a painting that portrays sunflowers in a vase on a table. And right next to it, we have another painting that is sunflowers in a vase on a table. But you don't need to be an art expert to know that that second painting is nowhere near the first one. The style is completely different. The colours are so bright and vibrant, not typical for Van Gogh. And also the medium, you can't tell from these pictures here, but he would use oil paintings and that's a watercolour. So it's very easy to sometimes spot something that is not authentic. But that's not always the case. 
And another area that I think we talk about authenticity a lot is in food. Restaurants will talk about their produce being authentic to the region that it comes from or the country that it represents. And because the UK is so diverse in its cultural makeup, we get so many different types of food that we can enjoy. One of the nation's favourites is spaghetti bolognese. Spagbol, as it's affectionately known. And I am hoping that nobody in the room would say that number two is authentic. See me later if you do. Um, But my question to you is this, is number one authentic? Everyone's going to say, yes, of course it's authentic. Well, Bolognese sauce comes from a certain region in Italy, Bologna in the north. And like many other food items, for instance, champagne can only be called champagne if it's made in the region of champagne in France. Parmaham is only Parmaham if it's made in Parma. Bolognese sauce is from Bologna. It's how they say it should be made. And they would never put bolognese sauce with spaghetti because it would just fall off. The spaghetti is too thin to carry the sauce. They want you to have a great experience when you eat it. And so over time, in different parts of Italy, different parts of the UK and across the world, we've adapted this as the standard, but it's not actually the original. Another firm favourite for us in the UK is curry. And the number one curry is... Chicken tikka masala, which started off life on skewers without sauce. But during the 70s, when curry was starting to get really popular in the UK, um, one particular restaurant, which I think was in Scotland, um, had a regular client who was there pretty much every day. And he made a request to the chef. The meat on the skewers is too dry. We used to have in gravy with our meat here in the UK. And he wanted a sauce with it, so sent it back and challenged the chef to come up with a sauce, which he did. And we have a new national favourite because somebody preferred it a different way. So over time, we find that sometimes our preferences, the things that we don't like, the things that we do like, have an influence and cause change to happen. So my question to you today, in applying this to our Christianity, into our, the way that we express ourselves through our faith, have we allowed cultural differences, preferences, influences that we are surrounded by to affect our version of Christianity? Is it now something that it was never intended to be by God because we have allowed it to adapt to something that we're more comfortable with? So in posing that question, how do we answer that? How do we determine whether that's the case for us? So this is where we come to the search me God part. And in Psalm 139, I'm going to read a lot of scripture for you today, so you're going to have to keep up with me on that. But Psalm 139, 23 to 24 says this, Search me thoroughly, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any wicked or hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. God, is there something within me that doesn't please you? Is there something that you want me to do differently and change? Psalm 4, verse 4, and I'm going to read this in three different versions, and I'll explain a little bit why in a moment. 
Don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. Complain if you must, but don't lash out. Keep your mouth shut and let your heart do the talking. Build your case before God and wait for his verdict. Tremble with anger or fear and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Reflect on your sin and repent of your rebellion. There were a few key words and phrases that stuck out to me when I was comparing those different versions and it was this, remain silent, be still, keep your mouth shut. We have to ask God to search us, but we also have to be willing to hear him and listen to what he has to say. Now, if you were to turn around to a friend, a family member, a colleague at work and say, hey, you know what, I've been thinking about me and everything that I do. I want you to be really honest with me and tell me, is there anything about me about what I do, the things that I say that aggravate you, that you don't like, that you find offensive. I mean, that would take a lot of courage for us to do that, but it wouldn't take long before that person starts maybe offering a few suggestions, before we would chip in, all defensively, defending ourselves, saying, oh, yeah, but, you know, I do that for this reason, and I I do this because of this. And God is saying, be still, be silent, Keep your mouth shut. I want you to hear me. I don't want you defending yourself. I don't want you telling me why what you do, your attitudes, your motives, why I should accept them. I want you to be quiet before me. But to go on from that point, are we then prepared to not only listen to what God says, but to take action? Whatever the appropriate action is for whatever God has revealed to us. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 to 10, says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. You know, there is absolutely nothing that we have done or that we ever will do or think about, or any motivations that we may have that God doesn't already know. We cannot hide, and yet, how often do we try, that we think that we can keep it from him and ignore something? If we think about how culture moves on, just in the last 10 years, you will be able to highlight some real differences that you have noticed And if we go back a few decades or hundreds of years or even thousands of years, how much progression there has been. And some of that progression is about making things more effective, more efficient, breakthroughs in science that help us medically and, you know, technology that can help us. But along the way, we have let go of that which is good, that which is godly, that which has been there for our protection because... Well, that needs to become more relevant now to what is our culture. You know, God is timeless. God has not changed in thousands of years and never will. His word has not changed in thousands of years and never will. And yet we think that now 
we are justified in expecting God to bend his ways to ours rather than it being the other way around. It's about our Christianity being authentic to God because it's based on God, not about us expecting God to mold himself to who we are. So how do we sort of put steps in place to become authentic in our walk and our Christianity? My first point, I've got four points on this, is that to be um, an authentic Christian, we have to be a Christian. A Christian is a Christ follower, somebody who has that living relationship with God, who has invited him to be part of their, their lives and dwells within them. 1 John 4 verse 15 says, All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. It's about everything that Jesus represents, his death, his resurrection, his salvation, Our salvation through him for our sins so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be free. And this is what differentiates us big time with religion. Because religion is all about works. It's all about striving for something, being better than you are right now. And is often unattainable because the goalposts keep moving. Christianity is about that relationship that we have with God that is living and within us. So firstly, we have to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and have him as our saviour. Secondly, when we do that, when God is dwelling within us, our attitude towards sin has to change. Romans 8 verse 12 to 14 says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. I repeat, we have no obligation to do what our sinful nature urges us to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Does this mean that we'll never sin again? No, it doesn't. In fact, 1 John 1 verse 8 says, If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in truth. But... The difference is our attitude when we do sin. Is it something that was just completely unintentional, it happens, and there's deep regret on our part? Or is it something that is continual, habitual, something that is forgotten about, something that is just complacent and ignored? 1 John 3 verse 9 says, Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. There has to be this complete switch on acceptance of God as our saviour that now we adopt his thought life and his patterns in the way that we think about sin. Sin should be something that upsets us. You know, when I do something wrong, I shouldn't just brush it off and think nothing of it. I should be deeply upset about that. And it should lead me to a place of saying, God, I'm sorry. I want you to forgive that that I did. And how many times do we we brush that off because we think, well, maybe this part of religion is not, or Christianity is not relevant anymore. That we try to adapt it to ease our own consciences because it's a little bit more hard work for us to say, God, I've messed up here, or God, this is wrong, I need to change. My third point is that we need to keep plugged into the Holy Spirit. Galatians 3 verse 4 says, let me ask you this one question. 
Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. You've received the Holy Spirit because you have believed, and he now dwells within you. It's not our works and what we do that makes us any better. It is he who lives within us that allows us to achieve that which he wants us to achieve, to be able to put down sinful nature. Religion tells you, work harder. Try, try, try in your own strength. But in God, we have a different viewpoint. Christ set us free so that we can be free and live free. And in that living free, it means doing things differently. It means putting down our sinful nature. Instead of trying harder, we have to rely harder on the Holy Spirit and God working through us. Some of you have been looking at this diagram while I've been speaking and will have spotted the problem with it. We have several appliances plugged into an extension lead. And these appliances, you can't see them, but for the sake of the illustration, they're really powerful things that can save us a lot of time and achieve great sort of efficiency for us. Um, have high value, but they're not actually going to work. And they're not going to work because the extension lead is plugged into itself, if you haven't noticed. There is no power in the extension lead. But how many times in our walk do we plug ourselves into ourselves, trying to get somewhere, trying to achieve what God is asking of us, and we don't have that power? And what we've got to do is unplug that, plug it into the source, i.e. the Holy Spirit, to enable those appliances to work, to be able to achieve that which God has asked us to do and expects us to walk into. Galatians 3 verse 3 says, How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to be perfect by your own human effort? We cannot put to death our sinful nature. It has to be something that happens through the working of the Holy Spirit within us. If you think of a um, supercar that costs hundreds of thousands of pounds, has the capability of you know, doing unbelievable speeds over 200 miles an hour, and all the safety features that go into that, all the design and engineering that goes into that, enable to make it happen, if it doesn't have a tank of fuel, it's not going anywhere. It's less powerful than your push bike. Are we not plugged in? Are we not filling our tank with the Holy Spirit and expecting that which we have naturally as humans to be able to do and achieve that which can only be done supernaturally? Recognize that it is God working through you, not what you do yourself. It is not your strength. It is God's strength in you. Galatians 5, verse 13 to 15 says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware. 
of destroying one another. Another aspect of our authenticity in our Christian walk is the way that we relate to each other, the relationships that we form. That passage tells us that we are to serve each other and we are to love each other, that we're looking out for each other. You know, I've been in church since I was six years old and over those many years and decades, I have seen countless people walk away from church, walk away from the fellowship of believers, walk away from the covering of the authority within the church. For, for whatever reason, maybe they've been hurt by the church, maybe they've been hurt from people in the church, it doesn't really matter, but they've walked away. And they've isolated themselves. And God says to us, an authentic representation of your faith is the way that you relate to people. The love that you show that causes you to serve them, to watch out for them, to be there for them, to cover them and support them. Don't isolate yourself. And then the fourth point is this, that once we have accepted Jesus as our saviour, once we have changed our thinking and our attitudes towards sin and we have become plugged into the Holy Spirit, we start to see the evidence of fruit in our lives. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants to do. And the Spirit gives desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And these two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. It is so crucial that in being plugged into the Holy Spirit that we are forcing ourselves to rely heavily on the Holy Spirit to guide us, to show us those things that are not true representations of our faith. We rely and we abide in him. And you'll be familiar with John 15, the parable with the the vine, that we have to abide in the true vine, that we are the branches. And in doing so, the branches get to bear fruit. The branch in itself is unable to bear the fruit. It is only because it is connected to the vine that the vine is able to produce fruit which gets displayed on the branches. And we abide by saturating ourselves with God's word, by knowing who God is, by understanding his truths and what he stands for. You know, the paintings that I showed you earlier... It was, and the reference to sort of the experts at Antiques Roadshows, they're so able to spot a fake or determine whether something is authentic or not because they study intensively the real thing. And the same applies to us. We have to study the real thing, the Word of God, those truths. If we want to be able to distinguish between that which is true and bringing freedom versus that which is a diluted form of Christianity because we've allowed it to be something that is more palatable to us. Those things that I I don't want to do those parts of the Bible, I don't like those. So I'm going to have my own little version that excludes that. And we dilute the Christianity and it stops being authentic. Verse 22 of Galatians 5 lists out the fruit of the Spirit for us. They are love, joy, peace, peace, patience, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are God's character traits. This is who God is. And there'll be items in that list that we may look at and say, yeah, I think I see evidence of those particular things in my life. But I'm pretty sure all of us, including myself, will have times where a couple of those may be a bit of a stretch. And it's our attitude during those times that determines what happens next. Are we saying, okay, I know I need to do something here. I know I need to work on this. That God, I need to remember to stay plugged into you because you are going to give me the strength that I need to deal with those things that are the opposite of your character. One of the interesting things that I discovered, I was preparing a study on the vine. And I didn't know this, but you know how you can buy fruit and it ripens in the fruit bowl? And even on the labels on the packaging, it'll say, leave it in your fruit bowl to ripen for a few days before you consume it. You know, bananas will go from green to yellow to spotty. But grapes are really different. And I think it was no coincidence at all that God chose to use a grapevine in the illustration in the story because of the qualities of the grapevine and how it relates to us. You see, when you remove a bunch of grapes from the vine, they stop ripening and they will not be any sweeter or juicier or more colorful than they were the moment that you remove them from the vine. And that's a really powerful lesson for us as Christians because we have to remember to not just stay connected, but it is in staying connected that we bear that fruit, but that that fruit then reaches its full maturity and be the most delicious tasting fruit that it can be because it is still connected to the vine and not separate. I want to just invite the worship team to come back up because in a few moments I'm going to give us an opportunity to quieten our spirits and ask God to search our hearts. So I've, I've spoken to you this morning about how God will search us, how God already knows everything that we do, everything that we think, that he wants us to take time to give him the space to speak into our lives. But more than that, he wants us to give him the opportunity to highlight things and then have us recognize that we need to do something about that. Are we prepared to be more influenced by he who is within us internally or are we allowing ourselves to be more influenced by that which is external? Have we allowed our Christianity to be diluted because the external voices are stronger than the internal one? And so we have to remember to have this living relationship with God. We have to change our attitude towards sin and those things that we have maybe put to one side and ignored. We have to be plugged into the source because it is the source that enables us to function. It enables us to put down that sinful nature. And in doing so, we get to bear and display fruit so that there is no doubt in people's minds who we represent, what we stand for. We can be authentic in our Christianity. So we introduced a song to you earlier during the offering that is brand new. And so I know that you're not very familiar with it. And I don't want you to be concerned with it. Let it minister to you. I want you to take this moment and say, God, please search me. Will you allow yourselves to be still 
not fight back, not be defensive before God and try to justify things that you feel that God may be prompting you on. Allow him to speak and be determined to go away and take action on the very things that he reveals to you. Maybe today you realize that you need a relationship with Jesus in order to start this authentic Christianity. And I want to give you the opportunity to be still before God, but if you really want somebody to pray for you, we will gladly do that. You know, as the song is ministered to you, feel free to come forward and we'll pray for you. Whatever you want prayer for, whether it's to do with this message, whether it's for salvation, whether it's for any other issue. But open your hearts, be still before God, and expect him to speak to you.